4: So today, I feel like I need, like, I don't know. I need I need inspirational music playing mm-hmm. because today we're getting to a very anticipated <laughs> yeah. team. And that is Williams. Williams. We and, got there.
5: And why is it? Just because I've just always, it's always piqued my interest.
4: It's, you know... Williams is interesting. They're the perfect example of being. Okay, you would make probably a good like NFL or MLB or some sort of big four sports reference here. They're one of the worst teams on the grid currently, but Mm. have one of the most like die hard, biggest fan bases. Are the Mets a good equivalent? I don't. Yeah, know. yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah, okay.
5: yeah. Okay. That's sorry problem.
4: to, I'm sorry to my dad who's a Mets fan. But so.
5: Williams used to be very. Yes, good. and the Mets, hey, Mets did too. So yeah, yeah, that's yes. probably fair.
4: Yes. Okay. Fair. I'm glad I nailed that. I know nothing about the Mets. Apologies to any Mets fans who are extremely mad at yeah. me now. No, no, but no. so so yeah. So Williams currently one of the worst teams on the grid. However, also one of the most historic. Also yeah. the one uh, one of the winningest throughout their their time in Formula mm-hmm. One. Mm-hmm. What's really fascinating about Williams that we'll get into is that they are a pure hardcore Formula 1 only team. We've got that sort of chip okay. on their shoulder going on. We've got a team founder who mm-hmm. was so singularly focused on this team mm-hmm. that he sort of neglected every other part of his life. Yep. And yeah, and we've got a lot of history. So yeah, today on Choosing Sides F1, we are diving into Williams. Finally. I know. This is a big a big uh, a big moment for you. From iHeart Radio and Sports Illustrated Studios, this is
2: Choosing
6: Sides. F one. Oh 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 wow! wow.
4: <laughs> Michael, yes, we've talked about how you know teams like Mercedes are on the grid partially because they are a large-scale car manufacturer. Aston Martin. Obviously has a car brand attached, you know, Red Bull, not a car manufacturer, but you get what they are trying to sell you. And that is uh, taurine filled energy drinks. I will never live down the fact that we know what is what what, taurine taurine is is at this point. Alpha Tauri, they, they sell you clothing. Williams, yeah, is not is not here for anything else. They are they are just here for the F1 fun. I love that. So Williams. At the center of Williams is its namesake, Sir Frank Williams. He is knighted. He is British. And Sir Frank Williams started off having a very, very brief racing career as a as a driver and pretty quickly realized he was just not cut out mm-hmm. for the driving lifestyle, though he loved cars. He loved racing. But he, he found that his strengths would be better suited to build and manage a team rather mm-hmm. than be the one in the car so he founds what's called frank williams racing cars mm. he started he actually bought a formula one car from another team and i told them no i'm just going to use this and retrofit it for a different racing series and then you like put a driver in it to drive an f1 which no doubt pissed off the dirty the yep. other team's uh, yeah. leadership for very obvious reasons, and at that the time, you know, he had it was small. It was obviously a very scrappy outfit, and had a bunch of different struggles. On top of that, a major tragedy at the time was that one of Frank Williams' good friends, Piers Courage, a very mm. fun name, not as good as Scott Speed, no. but solid. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, Piers Courage, he was kind of the driver for version one Williams team. He dies in one of the cars in 1970. So that is is obviously sad. Yeah. Frank Williams. After this point, we kind of talked about this a little bit with Enzo Ferrari. He does start to distance himself a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I was going to
5: try to draw that comparison. Also, yeah. I love any story like this—not where someone's dead, obviously—but it never just happens right away. The success, everyone who's listening, millions of people—it's effort, it's years, it's time.
4: Yeah. Yep. So obviously, yeah, like tragedy occurs. Mm-hmm. All these other things happen, and the team is always kind of struggling. Like it's 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 not really taking off. And so by around 1976, or you know, six seven years later. Uh, they need money. Will, Frank Williams is always in need of money is like the ongoing theme here. <laughs> and so he partners with a Canadian billionaire named Walter Wolf, who ends up owning a 60 percent stake in Frank Williams's venture. Okay. And what does he do with that? Replace Frank Williams as the oh, head of the team God by the end it. of the season.
5: A wolf in sheep's clothing. Yes. Cut that out. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: OK, thanks for that, Yohai.
5: So that sucks. So Sir Frank Williams starts Williams 10 years or so grinds, does his best, has, needs money, sell, gives Walter Wolf a majority stake, and Walter Wolf cuts his ass. Yes. Dirty.
4: Also a real, like, LOLJK moment. Yeah. So Frank and a young engineer from his original team, this guy Patrick Head, they're like, F it. We're going to create another another team. Right. Like, it's going to be us. Great. So that actually starts, yeah, the Williams that we know today. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah, this is the late 70s. They immediately get the reputation for being very scrappy, very low-budget, and because they don't have the money, very innovative because they have to find wacky, weird ways to stretch their budget, to make things work.
7: It was this sort of shoestring, inventive Innovative operation. This is William Superfan Bird Pinkerton. Hi, Bird. They would be doing these wild, kooky hijinks, essentially, to their car, like trying new aerodynamic things. Like in some ways, the the cars that we have today owe a lot to the like experimentation and just surprising ideas of sort of Williams of old they have not- nothing else going for them they have nothing to lose you know they're not
4: sitting upon billions and millions of dollars. So they kind of use that to play around with it. And it actually starts working out for them.
0: And punching through, it's Clay Regazzoni taking the lead. That's incredible. It's the two Saudia Williams cars first into Fox Corner.
4: Uh, a Williams car wins its first ever Grand Prix in 1979.
5: Another great thing happened in 1979. Michael Costa was born.
4: I think this was meant to be you and Williams. Yep. First Grand Prix win, your yep. birth.
5: Through the birth of my mother's... Canal. Okay.
4: Uh, so.
5: <laughs> so Williams has now won its first, 1979, roughly 10 years since they started in a lot yeah. of different adversity and a death and yeah. a firing and a new company. Okay, wow. yeah. yeah. So they
4: just start killing it in the 80s. They, they win the 1980 World Championship. This sets off, I think it's 17 or 18 years of on and off. Williams is picking up everything, right? Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. constantly in the hunt for race wins for, you know, for the championship for on, on both the constructor and the driver's side. So this is all going on. Obviously, this is Sir Frank Williams's professional life. It's, it's very well known, and it's been documented, that he was very singularly focused mm-hmm. on his F1 team.
0: We have a, a certain way, a modus operandi, a way of operating, and that is a fairly informal manner, but it does achieve, under these very difficult conditions, very long hours... Uh, It does achieve the right results, and that's how I operate.
7: His wife, Virginia Williams, talks about, like, she gave him eight pounds uh, to go buy groceries, and he came back with spark plugs instead. Or I think on his wedding day as well, he was like, I'm going to the racetrack, like, directly after getting married. He never went on any family holidays because he was so obsessed with the team.
5: What's interesting to me already about this is that I would have assumed Sir Frank Williams and Williams, was, with its racing, would have a lot of money. I, You know, I just always assume everybody has a lot of money. But it sounds like they kind of had a reputation as being scrappy. And, you know, this is Formula One, so even low budget is high budget for yeah. me and you. But it doesn't sound like it was one of this unlimitedly funded teams.
4: Yeah. And, and they obviously went through phases of better funding than yeah. other times. And especially as we know, you know, the better your car does, the easier it is to get sponsors right. or to get – you know to get more money from F1 the other thing williams had a lot of took a lot of pride in the fact that his stuff was was mostly you know as much as they could build all their own stuff they did which considering the fact that again they are not like a major car manufacturer they don't have some other kind
7: of business elsewhere you know is is pretty remarkable it was this project of One man and his and his colleagues and they're just like love and devotion for this specific sport and everything that it could be and everything that it could mean. And so I think, yes, like they're at the back of the pack now. They're not where they used to be, but it's there because it loves racing and I love it dearly for that.
5: What is Frank Williams? I mean, what's the money? What is the cert?
4: Okay, so I'll give some just some quick stats here. So between 1980 and 1997, Williams won nine Constructors titles wow. and seven Drivers titles. Wow. And so Williams was in the hunt for, yeah. for a lot of the titles yeah. and the glory and, and all of that. So obviously, the royal family finally says, hey, he's done enough for us to... Say that he's very impressive. Yes, and they were still when he got knighted. You know, at this at this real pinnacle okay. yeah. of, of motorsport.
5: So he was knighted because of Formula One. Yes, okay. he was knighted. Oh, sorry, my impression was that like this this knight, you know, came in and was like, "I want to start a Formula One team." No, it oh, was yeah. it was the Formula One that created the knighting.
4: Yes, and he was knighted in 1999. So this was again really when the team was still very much at the pinnacle. So it Copy. makes sense that they were like, "Oh, yeah. they're they've been killing it for." Two decades. Let's yep. let's hand this yep. guy something.
5: So, what was it like on? A, I mean, this is if he's obsessed with Formula One. These poor kids.
4: Yes and no. I mean, I don't I don't want to psychoanalyze the individual kids. Right. However, one I'm of his happy kids, to. <laughs> one of his kids, Claire actually does start getting involved in the organization. She ends up working okay. up the leadership track, doing a lot with marketing and communications for the team. Okay, and we'll talk about it in a bit. But she does summit to kind of this leadership role on the team. Okay. by by the end of her tenure, so. Unfortunately, Williams does start running into a mix of some money trouble, some leadership, executive team trouble and some inconsistencies with its cars mm. as we enter the 2000s. You know, so if you look if you just look at their racing stats year to year, it's like some years are great, some years are bad and and mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, and again there's nuanced reasons for it, all these individual examples why, but it sort of isn't quite what it was in this kind of dominating fashion in the 80s and 90s. And uh, something that starts to happen because money is king in you know, cash is king in anything, but especially in Formula One. Um, to relate this to our discussion of Lance Stroll and Daddy Stroll, yep. when we were discussing oh, Aston yeah. Martin, the team Williams has to start forming an increasing reliance on pay drivers mm. and these sort of sketchier, weird sponsorship mm-hmm. deals or other deals to to keep the operation afloat. So Williams does start to again very slowly over many years get a little bit of a reputation for. Having one, if not more, right. drivers who you're kind of like, okay, are they really like a merit pick?
5: Yeah, that sucks. That sucks. And I'm sure that's not their first choice, but...
4: It, it is what it is. But as I said, yeah, they continue to have a, a mix of some solid years, some bad years mm-hmm. over the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. Frank basically maintains the role of team principal even though he's less active in it. Okay. Claire is the one who kind of she's a deputy team principal but is kind of running the show here right. and she's obviously one of the only women that high up. Yeah. 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 So she's a very visible woman in the paddock and and you know in is it is probably the the highest ranking amongst the teams at that yeah. point. So yeah. so that's where where Claire comes in. Let me show you, actually, Sir Frank and Claire. Um, so you'll notice so uh, Frank Williams got into a car accident, not while racing, in 1986. And so he actually uh, became a tetraplegic. So you'll see him in a wheelchair. So in 1986, he got in the car accident? Yes.
5: And the team still continued to to thrive? Yes. God, that is a lot of adversity. Yeah. That would be a good time to say, let me rethink about my life. I mean, that that's unbelievable.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: There's a lot of stories in Formula One of like, of there's a lot of adversity that happens. There's yeah. a lot
4: of dark shit. It's <laughs> a lot of dark shit, <laughs> and it, it's like yeah, it's it's kind of depressing, but also I wouldn't say funny, but it is depressing that everyone's like ah yes they they really got got going after their like five friends right, died right, in a car accident, right. like oh my god yeah they so.
5: live they live high speed. They do high yeah. speed, and in, and in, in when you crash at high speed. There's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of problems.
4: Yeah. Uh, so here's him. And then there's a photo. So he's
5: in a he's in a wheelchair. And okay. a lot of that is, a lot of
4: later photos. Yeah.
5: That is Sir Frank Williams. Even his wheelchair looks fast. Yeah. You know, and that's his daughter, Claire. Mm-hmm. And they're both smiling. They're looking at some results. Uh, cool. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. You know, it's a win win. She gets to spend some time with dad. He's at the garage anyways. And sounds like uh, she's climbing up the ranks and let's go Formula One. Let's get everybody involved in this sport.
4: Yeah, there we go. So, you know, it is a weird team in the sense that it is it is still very much centered on a singular man, right? Like Frank Williams yeah. at the center of everything. There's something really appealing about this young, scrappy team that's just – they just really love racing and they love Formula mm-hmm. One racing. Mm-hmm. And that, that also builds them a really diehard fan base early on. Money begets money. They get momentum even after – Frank's accident and and subsequent disability, they they continue to win more and more for over a decade after that. So that's
5: amazing. And there's something very attractive about a small scrappy group that's like, we're here to race. Yeah, that's it. We're not promoting our energy drink. We're not trying to get you to buy our streetcars. We're here to race.
4: Yeah, they're pretty hardcore. I love, <laughs> I love that. It. There's love like that. a there's a there's almost like a purity to it.
5: Oh, what's that? I'm now paralyzed through a car accident we're still here to race and we're still going to kick your ass
4: exactly and that's what they do (laughs) and they're also a very british team through it all i'm sensing that yeah they give you heart i mean he's a knight right Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) so yeah they're british they're you know leadership's british the founder's british everything's based in in britain so
5: how does the car even look british You know, I mean, because they all look the same, but it just the colors, the cut. I don't know. It just it screams British to me.
4: It's very dignified and refined in a way that the Brits like to be.
5: Yeah. But also, you know, we talked about Aston Martin. It didn't scream British to me, Mm -hmm. even though that's a British brand. Something about Williams.
4: Mm -hmm. So we're going to skip ahead to the end of the, the 2010s. Again, there's some real inconsistency in the 2010s. There's some years where you've got drivers finishing P4, P5 in the championship Mm -hmm. standings, and you've got years where they are completely like a rock sinking to the bottom of of a pond, like just completely everything's effed. Right. And they reach a real low point, though, 2018 to 2020. Uh, They finish in last place in the standings. Yikes. In 2019, the entire season goes by and they only earn a single point total. Yeah. So really not good, and then they finish with zero points Ooh. in 2020. So, Claire, thin-
5: yeah. oh Claire,
4: uh, it's been a tough few months. But actually, really, in reality, it's probably been a tough few years, if we're honest. So things are looking mighty effed at this point. And, you know, Williams, again, has a lot of pride in the fact that they are this family team. Mm -hmm. They're family oriented. They build everything themselves. And over the years, they had started to kind of let up on that that whole ethos. Mm -hmm. But, you know, by the end of the 2010s, they have to admit that things are looking really bad. If they want the team to survive in any form, they're going to have to sell at least some stake of it or, or maybe the whole thing. So in 2020, the Williams family sells the team to... A private equity firm called Doralton Capital. Oof. They have offices very close to here in New York in they case sound, you wanted to peruse.
5: Yeah, they sound like Darth Vader.
4: Yeah, I know. Anytime like private equity gets involved, it's like the music, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the music starts playing. Yeah. So Frank and Claire end up leaving the team. This is a hard, hard business. I've given it my all. And I've done that because i wanted to protect my family's legacy in this sport. I've done it because I'm my dad's daughter and I felt almost it was my duty to do it. However, mm. they do make a deal with the the new owners. Like, can you keep the name? Because, you know, the legacy of the name. So they agree to. So it's still Williams Racing, despite right. the fact that the Williams family is not legally on paper involved anymore. That's a big loss. Yeah. Yeah, enormous, enormous loss. People are obviously really upset. There's a lot of retrospectives, mm-hmm. and then the following year, so November of 2021, Frank Williams passes away at the oh, age of 79.
5: Shit, of yeah. course he does. Yeah, because this was his life.
4: It was his life. Yeah, and he was older and and probably had some health stuff going on. Um, but he. Yeah, but but, yeah. It's, but it, doesn't it's related. It, doesn't it doesn't help. It doesn't help. Doesn't help. Yeah. So, yeah. So Frank passes away. The team obviously dedicates a race to him. There's yep. a, a one-minute moment of silence on the grid for wow. this hero, Sir Frank Williams, wow. in the sport. Uh, so definitely left his mark.
5: Um, okay. So Doralton Capital takes over Williams, keeps the name. What happens?
4: A good question. So 2021 rolls around. You know, Mercedes is out here fighting for their eighth Constructors and world title in in as many years, you know, Red Bull's trying to beat them. And then you have Williams like we just want to score a point or like we just want our drivers (laughs) to get out of Q1 and qualifying, like completely different set of of standards here. And yeah, so George Russell still on the team at this point. And they get some lucky breaks. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we talked about with Esteban Ocon, he won his his first Grand Prix in this very bizarre Hungarian Grand Prix where it was like, yeah, like bowling pins being knocked down at the start in the rain. So in that same race, the two Williams drivers, George Russell and Nicholas Latifi, somehow dodge all of this madness because they're at the back of the grid.
6: Yes, guys. Yes, yes, yes.
4: And end up being able to come in and both score points in this race. It's the team's first points in in literal
7: years. It's
6: absolutely fantastic. Both cars in the points. We could not have
7: expected that. Thank you so much. Great job. The entire team lost their goddamn minds. Like, it was life-changing. They were so excited. And, like, George Russell was crying. I'm
0: emotional. It's it's weird. It's, um, It's more than what... The result
7: today shows. Because he knew what it meant. Four years of this team striving and working and trying for something. Everything just means so much more to them. And what's not to love about watching a team claw their way back from a pit? It's a joy.
0: Quick break, and we'll be back from BBC Radio Four.
8: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured, not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
4: So this year it's been a little bit tougher for Williams. But I mean, new regulations, they were barely, barely keeping afloat with the old ones. Right, right. So there's definitely going to be an adjustment period.
5: They may have to find some new uh, some some new motivation or some new leadership that's going to work for them.
4: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to call any multi bazillion dollar motorsports operation a mom and pop shop but it is a mom and pop shop being overtaken by private equity which is you know americans will understand a little bit about that
5: all right well i probably am leaning towards liking the old williams as opposed to doralton capital but uh but it's good to have all this information there you go yeah let's talk about drivers i love george russell but he doesn't race for williams
4: anymore he does not right I will say he was replaced with a driver who who I think embodies a lot of the ethos at Williams. Okay. So this driver Yohai suggested a tagline of the driver with nine lives mm. which I think does does really have some <laughs> merit to it. So first driver we're talking about is Alex Albon. Hi Alex. Hello to Alex. His family, I will say off the bat, they have a bajillion pets. I follow their pets Instagram. It is a delightful corner of the Internet.
5: You know, sometimes I see these accounts of like a pet of a famous person. And I think, who in God's name follows these accounts?
4: Me. I follow all of them. (laughs) Do I also follow Lewis's dog Roscoe's account? Yes, I do. (laughs) So Alex's dad was a British racing driver, albeit in completely different series. Mm -hmm. And then his mother is actually Thai. And mm. so Alex is British sound. You know, he has a British accent. He, he's lived in Britain for most of his life. Uh, he chooses to race under the tie flag in motorsports. No shit. Yeah.
5: Cool. He's respecting yes. his mom's nationality. Yes. Much love.
4: Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So tragedy does strike for Alex. In 2008, his mom gets arrested and what? yeah, gets arrested, and in 2012 is incarcerated for fraud. what she ran a ten million a nearly ten million dollar car scam. What
5: is up with these with yeah. these stories? Yeah, a car scam, yes, right, kind of a
4: Ponzi scheme of buying and selling and promising certain things to investors yada 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 she she gets caught and yeah. and incarcerated for this, and she is sentenced to six years and is released about three years later. Okay. Uh, And if you look at – and Alex has talked about this only a tiny bit. He really doesn't like – for obvious reasons to discuss it. But if you look at his racing history, he struggles during this time period where understandably he has a parent who's incarcerated, which would affect any very young Person.
5: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure.
4: So Alex yeah, has a hard time and he's got several siblings. They've got all these pets like there's just a lot going on in his personal life is the long and short of it. Right. And his parents are divorced. So anyway, yeah, a lot going on for a young guy who's then also trying to compete in this high speed, high stakes sport.
5: His parents are divorced. Divorced. Yes. And he chooses his mom's flag. Yes. Mm, that's a little something. Yeah.
4: Yep. So he begins karting at the age of eight, makes his way through the junior formulas. He wins things. I mean, all these guys, for the most part, win things, you know, does well. Right, right. Uh, the other big thing that I think defines a lot of his racing, given that he's racing often in Britain at this point, is he's constantly competing against Lando Norris, George Russell. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. names kind of constantly come up in his career. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're dominating over there. So they are good friends. They've known each other for forever. And he does, though, struggle to distinguish himself, given that there is such a stacked group.
5: Some years the class is stronger and you just don't know. Yeah.
4: Exactly. And as yeah. we know, it's there's a lot of luck that goes mm-hmm. into it. Yeah,
5: for sure. Yeah. For sure.
4: What I find most interesting about Alex, speaking of like nine lives and just like things weirdly working out or not working out, Alex wasn't originally supposed to end up in Formula One. Oh. You know, you know when you get to Formula Two... You're kind of, you know, yes, you want to get to F1, but you have to look at your other options. Mm-hmm. A lot of these guys are talking to different motorsports series. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they have mm-hmm. to talk sp- to sponsors, teams, mm-hmm. team principals. There's all this stuff going on. It's just That's just the pace of Formula 2. So he actually ends up signing a contract to race in a series called Formula E, which is what? electric race car driving. Oh, okay. So, you know, Alex has kind of resigned himself that he's going to Formula E. He won't get to live out his F1 dream. Also, keep in mind, he's in the Red Bull Junior program at this point. Mm-hmm. And then, as we know, in 2018, Daniel Ricciardo surprise announces that he is piecing out of Red Bull. And as we know from many of our other episodes, this is one of those moments where, in in retrospect, we know it was kind of cataclysmic in terms of domino effect on the rest of the grid. Yeah. They, as we discussed with AlphaTauri, move up Pierre Gasly to the old Daniel Ricciardo spot. But that means, hey, there's a spot open at Toro Rosso yes. all of a sudden. They didn't really have a good contingency plan for if Daniel left this abruptly. Right. So Alex goes in the, into that seat.
5: Alex goes into the
4: Toro Rosso seat. Sec,
5: second seat, I'm putting yes. in quotation marks, of Toro Rosso. Okay. Yes,
4: yes. So here's Alex. It's 2019. He is just trying to get his bearings as a rookie on the, the at this point the, you know, junior team for Red Bull. And as we know, twelve races in, Pierre Gasly is unceremoniously booted That's from right. the Red Bull seat. That's right. So basically mid season Alex, a rookie on the grid, gets named to the second Red Bull seat. Okay. And immediately, he is struggling to keep up with Max. We already know that these cars are, are geared yeah. towards Max's strengths to begin with. Yeah. It's just awkward. So they don't – luckily, don't boot him at the end of that season. But by the end of 2020, he still hasn't really improved. His race results are very inconsistent. He's he's nowhere near Max. So at the end of his sophomore season, they end up demoting him to a reserve and test driver at Red Bull. And he's not on the grid Ouch. for 2021. Ouch. yeah Ouch. Yeah. So it's it's obviously similar to Pierre, you know, very humiliating. It's very public. Right, right. It's just very, very depressing.
5: You got to have thick skin in this sport. Yeah.
4: So Alex, Alex also, interestingly, has a, a very small but loyal and diehard fan base mm-hmm. around him. Mm-hmm. And they were pretty vocal during 2021 that they wanted to see him back on the grid. Now, it was pretty obvious Red Bull's not going to put him back in that seat. Mm-hmm. Alpha Tauri's already got their stuff going on with, you know, Pierre's their golden Mm -hmm, boy, and mm -hmm. and Yuki just got there. So they're giving Yuki a fair shake. And as soon as rumors start swirling that George Russell is going to be leaving that Williams seat, sure enough, Alex comes in and announces that he's taking the Williams seat. And it's very, very exciting. Everyone is, is super happy. So... To speed up to present day this season, there's a couple of things going on for Alex. So one, as of this recording in the middle of the season, he is 26 years old.
0: Mm-hmm. So again,
4: a lot of similarities to Pierre Gasly. He's, he's middle-aged by right. F1 or entering, entering middle age. He's not a young upstart who just entered the grid. He's seen some shit. There's just a lot of ongoing long-term question marks for Alex as to... Where, where does he go? Right. Uh, some other things about Alex's season. Yeah, he has scored some valuable points thus far at Williams at the start of the season. Uh, something very funny. So for one of the the first race he scored points at, his hair was actually dyed this very artificial-looking red color. I'll show you a picture in a second. It was due to some some charity thing that he did. This was
6: quite surreal.
3: I was getting my hair dyed in a temple with a cat on my lap and with... Um...
4: <laughs> the so he scored points, and then the next race, he did not, you know, he had, he had washed it out.
0: As the die faded away, we finished 11th in, uh, in Imola, so... It started to affect the performance,
4: so he re-dyed his hair That's for great. the Miami Grand Prix, and because he was so superstitious, yeah. and he got points. And he got points. <laughs> so now the running joke is like yeah, yes. he's gonna look like Archie from Riverdale with like right. the super unnatural dyed hair, because now he's superstitious. He says it also makes him look like when he, you know, he obviously is sweating and all of that. He's like it looks like a murder scene whenever he takes his. Because <laughs> it's his, like
5: sw- the dye is sweating down yeah, his face? Yeah, and his
4: like his you know baklava and everything is like white, so it's just like this red bloody looking mess, and it's just hair dye that is very you know, crappy, temporary, like drugstore hair dye. So, uh, that's funny. Yeah. So that's uh, Here, I'll show you a, a picture of Alex here. This is both Alex um, with his normal hair and then Alex at the Miami Grand Prix with his red hair.
5: Oh, yeah. Looks like a, you know, still to me, young kid. He's got nice, normal hair, smiling on the right. He looks insane with the red hair. He looks like a, a little uh, delusional. And he's doing a thumbs up yeah you know maybe the red hair gives him some freedom makes gonna,
4: him feel alive <laughs> yeah makes him
5: feel alive or something but
4: he's very he's got a very wholesome face yeah I would say yeah very uh, yeah yeah he just looks like a like a happy guy yeah we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back
0: from BBC radio Four, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
8: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
5: So the other side of the garage, we have Alex on one. Who's our other driver?
4: So we have got Nicholas Latifi. Okay. Yohai has named Nicholas Latifi the straggler. The straggler. Which just the word straggler.
1: Siri, doesn't...
5: define straggler. One sec. Thinking. Thinking. Is it a real word? It is. A person in a group who becomes separated from the others typically because of, and this is the death of Formula One, moving more slowly. Oh, that is dirty, Yohai. That was cunning. (laughs) What a dick nickname. (laughs)
4: So Nicholas Latifi is the second of our two Canadian pay driver God guys. God damn it! On the grid.
5: These fucking Canadians are just not winners. I'm sorry. Yeah,
4: I'm sorry to the, I'm sorry to Canada right now. It's
5: a great country. It's a great uh, people, kind. The only thing they win at is hockey. That is true. All right. Sorry, I anyway. just had to do that for a second. Growing up in Michigan, there was just there was so much Canada. You know, and uh, they are great people. Their services are great. But there's just there's something about this American capitalistic strive to be number one, which I do appreciate, even though we treat poor people and old people like shit. Okay, let's keep going.
4: (laughs) So, yeah. So Nicholas's dad, just to differentiate, he's a billionaire, but in the food business.
6: Oh, way better.
4: Yeah. So anyway, that's just that's just that. So Nicholas Latifi. Basically, Nick. Uh, so speaking of the whole idea of a straggler, Nicholas's whole, <laughs> Nikki's whole t- story comes down to this idea that because his dad has so much money, he can almost outlast anyone else. Yeah, and kind of improve over an even more extended period of time than the average F1 driver, just because yeah. he has the money to do so. Yeah. So he actually, as we've talked about. A lot of people get their start in karting at the age of, you know, negative five. They're still right. in the womb and already right. karting, right. kind of thing, right? right. right. We got people right. starting at three, four, five, competitive karting by like six, seven, eight. We've heard the story ad nauseum at this point. Yep. Nicholas starts karting at the super late age of 13. What?
0: Yeah.
4: So he's 13 years old when he starts his journey. His journey. And at that point, you and other; these other guys are already in like open wheel seaters or about to be in mm-hmm. open wheel seaters and he's mm-hmm. just getting started in competitive karting. But because his dad has all this money, again, he's able to race. We've mm-hmm. talked about this, how in these junior formula categories, you spend maybe one to two years in any given series. Mm-hmm. Nicholas spends a lot more time than other people. So, for example, mm. he's in Formula Two for four years. Okay. And obviously, he gets better and better as he goes along because he has the time.
5: He can outlast a lot of the competition just from a financial
4: level. Exactly. Exactly. So he just has more chances yeah. because a lot of these kids can't afford to spend half a million dollars on like a Formula yeah. Two career. He's he's just able to outlast everyone on that front.
5: Let me interject for a second and ask you a question.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: I'm a huge tennis person. I've probably said that every episode. Previously on Choosing Sides. Well, are you a tennis fan,
4: Lily? Yes, for the sake of this argument, yes. is
5: anybody else a tennis fan? I love tennis. No one's ever died playing competitive tennis. Tennis has these guys who are so good, so young. I mean, as a guy who was number six on his collegiate tennis team.
4: He dumps his champagne in it and then drinks out of it. I love that.
5: I want some tennis players to do that. In tennis, you have these kids whose parents are very wealthy. Okay. And they get so many resources, coaching, equipment, travel. But at the end of the day, they still have to win the match. Mm-hmm. You, money doesn't win you the match. So are you suggesting that in Formula One, money can actually
4: get you to place and be Okay. I mean you still have to win, as we've discussed, you still there's still yeah, the skill. There's that super license, right? You still yeah. need the points yeah. to get into Formula yeah. One. Yeah. But yeah, it's just um you know, we look at someone like let's say an Esteban Ocon who felt a lot of pressure and he's talked yeah. about this to be good off the bat because he knew his parents had finite resources yeah. and just had to really go yeah. after it and had to show some natural talent and, yeah. and, and ability. So other people believed in him. Whereas Nicholas Latifi. Yeah, obviously, it's impressive to kind of start out your career in your teens for when other people started some of them a decade prior to that. But yeah, he just had time. It's to a develop.
5: enormous advantage. Exactly. And someone like Esteban probably sees Nicky on the garage and just goes, you, you motherfucker. I I just have worked so much, have more grit than you. do. yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Sorry for the interjection. No, there, yeah, but.
4: but no, it's it's true. It's a very weird thing where yes, these these guys who are paid drivers still have to have a certain level of drivability. Like yeah. you can't. Yeah, I can't. So if I if my parents suddenly made billions, they cannot just suddenly put me right. into Formula One. But at right. the same time, there's a difference between yeah, a, a Max Verstappen, a Charles Leclerc, and a Nicholas Latifi.
7: I love Nicholas Latifi. He's just like a nice guy. Bird Pinkerton. Part of what makes me feel like he's such a good, decent guys. He didn't seem to resent George Russell being, like, everyone's favorite wonderkind and everyone being like, and then there's Latifi. You know, he's worked hard to be there. He's he's trying. And so I think he has to figure out, does he want to keep being just that solid, dependable, nice guy who sort of fades away at some point? Or does he want to become a little meaner, (laughs) a little... Uh, A little something different on the track and maybe challenging Albin. And I think that that's hard because for Albin, he needs to, like, wipe the floor with Latifi, kind of. And Latifi, this is my imagination, but probably doesn't want to be wiped the floor with. Is he the single fastest driver on the grid? No. (laughs) No. But he's a really, really he just seems like a really, really decent, nice human being.
5: We're not talking about him being a nice person.
7: <laughs> His signature personality trait is that he loves Nutella. Oh,
4: and that he's tall. He's six one. So Williams always joke there's a running joke. Williams keeps ending up being one of the tallest the the tallest team on the grid. So George Russell, six six one, Alex Albin, six one. Another Mickey reason TV.
5: I'm gonna like Williams.
4: There you go. I That's can tall.
5: probably fit in their car.
4: Exactly. exactly. Six foot
5: four and a half though.
4: It might be a little bit of a stretch for them, but all their drivers are kind of lanky and tall. That's yeah. That's been the, the gist. So he, has, he does fit the kind of nice, wholesome persona that Williams has going for it right now. But to be completely frank, it's sounding like his time... In formula one is going to be coming to an end sooner rather than later so
5: yeah he's got to really put up some results yeah Mm -hmm. to make
4: matters worse for nicholas uh doralton capital has very publicly said you know hey we're now financially solvent we don't need these pay drivery outside sketchy weird resources we're good to go on that front which kind of hints to people uh oh like if if yeah if nikki isn't they said this last season then re-signed him but everyone was kind of like oh we can read between those lines nikki Um,
5: if you're listening now's the time to put up some results
4: Unfortunately, he has done the opposite. He has right. been crashing left and right oh, in 2022.
5: The straggler. The
4: other thing, too, that's, that's kind of interesting about Nicky on the crashing front, several of his crashes had very large consequences for the grid. So, oh, for man. instance, when we talked about Max Verstappen's win last year, you know, his first yeah. world championship yeah. title, we discussed that the whole reason all of this went down and that Lewis lost his lead and all of that is because somebody crashed and caused a safety car to come out.
0: Nicholas Latifi! Has crashed, and I think that is at turn 14.
4: That was none other than our guy, Nicholas Latifi, who then, after the race, had to hire security because he was getting death threatened. Oh, God. Yeah.
5: Yo-hi, I'm envisioning a movie poster, okay? And underneath it says, The Straggler. And he is climbing a mountain, barely hanging on. But the mountain is a jar of Nutella. Isn't that good? No. Yo, hi, stop talking. So this is a I love this story.
4: You, you just feel for him. That this, it's just...
5: I don't feel for him. This is fucking awesome. <laughs> I mean, he's a rich kid, Canadian, who sounds like he sucks at driving, keeps crashing, fucking up the grid. But the team needs money. It's part of the problem with Formula One. It's so money driven. Now there's a capital group coming in saying, dude, you got one year. Get your shit together. This is a great story.
4: I will say, too, if if you're trying to find more reasons to like Alex Albon, a reason then to like Nicholas is that he's making Alex Albon look really good this yeah. season. Alex really needs this year to be his breakout year to show, you know, I'm back on the Formula One yeah. grid. Yeah. Look how great I am. And, he, you know, as we know, your teammate is your biggest competition. He's yeah. trouncing his teammate right. right now.
5: By the way, we're not talking about Nicholas personally here. We're talking about him as a racer. And this is the reality of it. And it doesn't sound like if I was him, I would start start getting the suitcase out of the upstairs closet. Yeah,
4: it's probably a Louis Vuitton suitcase. Yeah, or and Gucci. he probably has
5: someone packed for him, possibly. I guarantee you his sheets are more comfortable than my sheets.
4: I, exactly. Yeah. Uh, higher, higher threat count, <laughs> definitely. And also, at the end of the day, if if and when he leaves the sport, he's leaving to go probably live in a mansion somewhere in Canada. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I don't think tears will be shed too much.
5: Well, look, it's probably hard in a lot of ways being Nicholas Latifi, especially when two chumps in NoHo Recording Studio are talking shit about him. But I wish I could switch places with him and be in that car, and that must be fun as hell.
4: And you know afterwards, yeah, that I will sleep in my you know, Egyptian <laughs> cotton sheets yeah. uh, in my mansion somewhere. And you know
5: what? This is what's so awesome about sport. Nicholas Latifi, here we are talking shit. Here's Doralton Capital saying, dude, you better pick it up. It's in his power.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: He can put up great results, and everything will change. And I hope that happens, Nicholas.
4: Okay, so we're now through... Eighty percent of the grid. Okay. We're we're really getting close now. Where does I'm actually curious to know more mm. so on the drivers. Where does Williams factor in for you? I
5: like Williams. You like Williams. I like Williams. Yeah. I love that Frank Williams got in a life-threatening, paralyzing car accident, and then still was running a championship. I love that. I love that his daughter's involved. And I think it's cool that when Frank and Claire left, that that they said, you got to keep this name the same. Because as I'm learning all these teams, the teams that have kept their name, you can remember. You can, oh, yeah, that's Ferrari. That's, you know. McLaren. McLaren, exactly. But but like the Alpine used to be, I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. Like it's so hard to just fixate on a team when their name changes all the time. Yep. But I don't love Doralton Capital. It does I think not that, roll off the tongue. No, and it doesn't, and it's in violation of probably the foundation of this team, which was a, which is a family enterprise.
4: So, final pitch for Alex Albon. Mm-hmm. So he is single handedly providing a lot of hope for the team, mm-hmm. especially after George Russell left a bit of a void when he mm-hmm. exited to take up his you know his rightful spot over at Mercedes. Alex is a really positive guy, really friendly, a really hard worker. right. Also, I do root for him because he has to go against the Red Bull organization. I, I like the comeback kids or I think there's there's an argument he made for these kind of, especially like the Red Bull comeback kids. I wonder if they have like a support group somewhere <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
5: I gotta be supportive and root for anyone whose mom has served prison time. I know that's not the highlight of all this, but that is a major difficulty. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he's harboring some deep emotional turmoil that we don't see. I mean, come on. It's your mom. So I am definitely rooting for him to be successful. I mean, he already is successful, but, you know, more, more successful. He wanted him yeah. to stick the landing. It's a sweet story. Yeah. It's a sweet story. Yeah.
4: And then it says, <laughs> this this deep
5: sigh, and then Nicholas.
4: <laughs> yeah, it says, "Final pitch for Nicholas Latifi," and yeah. then I wrote. To be honest, which is how you know it all goes downhill from there. Yeah, uh, and then all that all that Yohai added in the comments was, "What about the Nutella?" <laughs> so that's all we had. <laughs> so he has good taste in hazelnut spreads. Thank you. That's a really a big plus for Nicholas Latifi. But I have to be honest and say that there's no one here who's really stoked on his future in the sport or who wants to put their eggs in that basket. Yeah.
5: And speaking of putting eggs in a basket, I mean, his dad is a supermarket conglomerate, so he has his pick of which type of eggs in his basket. I like Williams. For some reason, they've always resonated with me. It's clear. It's a name that I, you know, I know. I like him. I like him. I, like I think Nicholas, bye-bye. Thank you, Nicholas. And I, I have every reason to root for Alex. So I would put Williams in my top three right now.
4: So next episode, mm-hmm. yeah, we're moving on to the ninth team on the yeah. grid. We've got Alfa Romeo.
5: My whole life, my father spoke so fondly of one of his first big purchases, which was an Alfa Romeo. I haven't heard about this team yet.
4: Oh, Also a team that has been around for a bit. We talked about them with Ferrari. They are also at an interesting point in their history where they've had trouble making their mark especially kind of as their own their own team their own name and the hope though is that this season with a big driver change they made and also Mm. some good car regulation changes that have gone their way that they're actually going to have a real a real breakout year yeah so uh i guess any other thoughts before we wrap up
5: no that's it i'm i'm uh that's it
6: This has been Choosing Sides, F1, a production of Sports Illustrated Studios and iHeartRadio. The show is hosted by Michael Costa and Lily Herman. This episode was produced by Lily Herman and our senior producer, Yochai Maital, who also did the sound design. At the Cutting Room Studios, we are recorded by engineer Rob O'Leary II, mastering by Cella Weisblum. Max Miller is the executive producer. And Brandon Getchus is head of audio at SI Studios. At iHeartRadio, Sean Titone is our executive producer. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to us and leave a review. And if you want more F1 goodness, follow us on Instagram at, at f one
4: Rob, do you have any thoughts now that we've heard about Williams?
2: They're not doing it for yeah. me. Ooh. I hear you. I, I they're cool, but yeah, they don't stand out until something good happens for them. I think they're just kind of there. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
0: is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my god, we've summoned something from this board.